Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good to be together today. This is our last Sunday for the uh, our On Mission message series, so really appreciate you being here to help us just run through the finish line. As I mentioned, July is the, the our, our big goal throughout the whole month is that we would, as we're living out um, really on mission with Paul through the book of Acts, that it would just stoke in us a, a passion to live on mission in our own lives. And so a big thanks to, to the way you guys are doing that. But, and, and this past week, thank you for everybody who, who went with our What Do You See initiative, especially those of you who weren't here last Sunday to know what was going on when you got that text on Monday, What Do You See? And I, I heard several stories like, I didn't know what to do with this text, but, uh, but, but hopefully it, it made sense. But it was fun hearing the stories, you know, of, and I know in my own life, I hope it created some conversations where, um, and for those of you who weren't here, we, we, we wanted to see people the way God sees them, and so we sent out a, a daily text, what do you see, just to whoever was in front of us to be seeing them and, and praying for them and, and hopefully being Christ to them. Well, one of our uh, initiatives through... And, or, or we've called it a worship liturgy that we've added in July just to help stoke our fire to live on mission is each week to just share the story of one of us or somebody that we know who is living on mission in their unique context and ask them to come just give us a window into what where God is leading them to to be his presence in their in their life and so today we are excited to welcome Brad and Michelle Legan up to uh to share a little bit about what's going on in their life. So if you would, would you join me welcoming them? <laughs> they are also our, uh, our softball league commissioners and really appreciate their ministry. Thanks. Good morning. Yeah, as you can see, we're dressed for softball. We're going to be out there <laughs> all afternoon. That's something we've really enjoyed doing the last few years. Uh, but you're going to see us out there all day today. You're going to see a lot of food out there. So join us for lunch. Come out there. Oh, yeah, but this is, uh, I think we have one more week left. So we're almost done with softball. But uh, come out and enjoy that with us. So one of the things that we're doing, and uh, there's a lot of information on the slide here. So this is kind of confusing. But I'm going to try to tie everything together. But this is Michelle. This is my wife of almost 30 years. And uh, she is a teacher here in the Danville school system elementary with Tammy and many others so they're getting ready to enjoy their last week of summer uh, my name is Brad uh, I'm a sales guy but nothing I do really relates to Danville so that's kind of why <laughs> I had look for different things to do uh, in the community that kind of help tie that all together so um, softball is big for us that was something I used to play a lot of and when I got to the point where I couldn't we got to uh, enjoy doing things like the, the food. We were asked to do food one year, and it's kind of blown up now into what the food stand you'll see today and then the full league. So that's kind of, a, that's a lot of fun for us. Uh, Michelle had a, a mission in teaching for 15 years. She taught at a preschool, our preschool church in Avon uh, before coming to Danville. So she felt like she needed to be more in the community 
where we moved at that point. So she wanted to be in the community where our kids were going to school and make an impact there. So we made the, we made the change in town and church and came to Danville. And Justice and Mackenzie are our kids, and uh, I think Mackenzie's here somewhere. There you are. Um, and uh, you'll see more about them here in a little bit. But um, quick question. Who knows what Frisbee or disc golf is? Just show of hands. Good. Uh, how many people here know that there's a nine-hole disc golf course out back? Oh, that's okay. That's better than I thought. I asked that question the first week of uh, softball, and I think we got eight hands out of about 30. So either we have a new softball players or people just stay here. So we'll see. We'll see. What, um, how many people knew that there's 40 acres involved in the entire church property? Okay, a few less hands. Good. So back to the slide. Gerald and Rhonda Legan were my parents. And just remember this visual. You'll see the green the green chairs, and you'll see the cornfield is behind there. So one of the things we did this year is that's my, that's my parents. That's uh, 80 years young, my parents were. They moved to Danville in uh, 2011. They spent eight years here. Unfortunately, in uh, September 2019, they were both killed in a car accident. But they were, uh, sorry. Here you go, Michelle. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she was hoping I wouldn't do that. Uh, these two, they were great examples of charity, generosity, living life on mission. They were, they were just a great example. Um, so they taught us growing up how to do things as a family. And that was important to us as we looked forward to a lot of uh, things to do in the community. Those two green chairs, you know, this, this couple, anywhere you saw them in the summer, they had those two green chairs. Uh, baseball fields, uh, the park. They would help us with the softball. So that was kind of a symbol for them. Um, but one of the things they taught us was, you know, doing things as a family. This is our group. So this is Justice and Mackenzie, Claire, and we're even including Brody, even though he's not <laughs> totally, no pressure, no pressure, Brody. <laughs> so, you know, we do things as a family. You know, we, we've been lucky enough to be able to do things, uh, the softball league, the Project Homeless we're going to talk about in a little bit, the cornfield missions, what, what we're here to talk about today. So it's, you know, we see a lot of negative examples of things that people do in life, and uh, you're just like, ugh, their kids, their kids were watching them when they did that. You know, so wouldn't it be great if you did good things and your kids were watching when you did that too? So the mission. So how this came about, when I was a kid, um, well, back up, uh, on the mowing team, I'm lucky enough to be on the mowing team here also, so we get to mow this property, uh, which is a great, great experience, and if you're on the team, you know what I mean. Um, my yard looks terrible at home, but this <laughs> yard looks great. So I was out there mowing one day in uh, the golf course. Uh, there's nine holes out there. There's a lot of, lot of room in between the holes. And the one thing I remembered growing up, my grandparents were, were farmers. And my grandfather, for a few years, would take at the, the edge of the road near his farm, he would take his planter and take a swipe for about, probably about an eighth of a mile, and he would plant a cornfield. So anybody in the three communities or the three towns around their farm could come and take corn whenever they wanted. It was free. 
So here I am on the mower looking around. I'm like, well, there's a lot of dead space. There's a lot of extra space. And this kind of morphed into this idea. Why don't we do a community garden for the community? So this is a good family sharing event. So that's where we've led to today. We're going to talk about you know, utilizing the excess property space, supporting local food banks, promoting the, 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 the property here at, uh, at Westridge. It's beautiful. And then hopefully it's going to stimulate some ideas. So remember, remember the little symbol you see. That was uh, from the original slide. But this is a marker. And we've, we've relocated this. We've put this out at the cornfield. Because one thing this year, we've had a lot of rain. So everything, if you look out at the back, everything is green. You know, I, even, I know where the cornfield is, and I have trouble seeing it just because everything's so beautiful back there. So we put this marker at the cornfield. So this is where you would go at the time corn is ready uh, to pick. And on the back side, I'm going to put some calendar information as far as when corn's going to be ready and so forth. So this is what's called a quilt block. Um, so my parents were quilters. My parents were artists. And uh, so they took uh, quilting and sewing. They took it to a new level by creating well, these are, this is an offshoot of what's called a barn quilt. So if you look out through the country, yeah, that's clear. Um, so sometimes you'll drive through the country. And I know in this area you have uh, covered bridges. But in central Illinois, um, they did a, an art installation of quilt blocks. So if you, if, um, this was something our parents were big into. Um, so we wanted to use that as an identifier. So you see, the, you see the quilt block here. This is my mom in one of her gardens. Um, but what's interesting about this, this is a Google Maps image of, from today. And we were looking, and this was taken about a month before she died. So if you go on Google Maps, there's my mom watering her garden with a quilt block. So, we look at that as like a snapshot into heaven because we're sure that's what she's doing up there. So then we fast forward to our field here. So we're going to show you a few slides here that are basically um, what we've done to kind of, you know, Michelle and I kind of put this together. And uh, uh, we're going to say some, th some things are good, some things are bad. <laughs> this is bad idea, this one here. <laughs> so. When we started this project, we talked to Doug Wicker, and he was a tremendous amount of help. Uh, got us the seeds, got us a lot of the knowledge. We talked to Tyson and John, and they gave us the permission to do this. But I also talked to Doug Edwards at Edwards Equipment, and I said, um, what do you have that we could kind of attach to our tractor that could work up some area? He's like, oh, no, I got, I've, got a, I've got it. I'll bring my tractor. I'll bring my... So, let me just tell you, when Doug Edwards tells you he's going to bring a piece of equipment to help you, you don't just thank him and say, okay, you get your phone out, you get your calendar out, and you say, what day and time can you meet me? That's a 17-inch tiller, and that's about a third of an acre. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> so, but from there, we decided we were going to try to do our garden the way mom and dad would have done it. So this is how my parents would have worked up their garden. We, we planted all this with hand tools. Uh, it won't happen again next year, so <laughs> we'll just go through a couple of them. Yeah, so water luckily hasn't been much of an issue the rest of the summer, but in the beginning we had, we tried the, we tried to come in with the, uh, the little utility uh, tank, but then we basically just uh, strung out uh, hoses from Tyson's place, which is Tyson and Shelley's house, which was kind of cool. Um, 
There's no reason for this slide other than that was really cute. <laughs> that was really fun watching her run around the property. So once this stuff, we're hoping this works, uh, we're either gonna have a lot of uh, corn for fat deer and raccoons, we, don't, we just don't know. So the deer are finding it, we're trying to keep them out of it, but we think we'll have enough. So the idea is that anybody here or around the community can just come get food as what, whenever they want. So um, the other idea is that if there's excess, we want to promote and we want to support the food banks within uh, Danville, within Hendricks County. So this is the United Methodist Church Food Bank. My mom actually worked here with uh, Mindy Duckett and a few others from the church here. I know Michael and Lori Young did a presentation a couple weeks ago about the uh, food bank there. Another opportunity we did was with Project Homeless. So my parents were involved with Project Homeless of Indianapolis and we've kind of latched on to the uh, leaders there and um, Dave Griffin, you can see on the far left and then Ed in the middle, they run Project Homeless for Indianapolis. So we, we've worked with them and then we've also worked with them and with the youth group here so with Kyle Fox's help, we had the youth group and we had a great day uh, serving food. We gave firewood, we gave um, a lot of clothes. So that was a great, great event. The kids really re interacted with the homeless and uh, it was a really a good experience. The other food bank in the area, this is at the church where Michelle taught for 15 years and a few of us had attended there for many years as our kids were young. So that's another opportunity. So the idea, and I don't know if this is going to be clear. Yeah, that's not very clear. But basically raw sweet corn. And if we can, to support the food banks and the homeless, um, the, the picture on the left is a, what's called a freezer slash boil bag. So if we can process the corn, put it in the freezers, uh, boil bags, we can hand it out to homeless at their camps. We can hand it into the, the different um, food banks. So this... This is kind of an interesting slide. That's the 40 acres of the church property here. This is another Google image. But you can see the, that, that's the cornfield. Look how small it is compared to the other 40 acres. So this whole area here is the golf course. You know, here's a hole, here's a hole, here's a hole. You know, this is what we're gonna talk about at the end. You know, what, what else can we do with this stuff? We do have a golf course. There's nine holes, it's beautiful. The playground, you know, we talk about promoting the, the land here and everybody, everything that, you know, a lot of people don't know what's out there. I was out there working one day and I talked to a couple of the Frisbee golfers and he's like, hey, what are you doing? So I explained it. He's like, well, this is the first time I've ever been out here. I didn't realize everything that's out here, how beautiful it is. Uh, so that's, that's exciting that if people can see what's out here. This just got finished this week, and this is the back patio behind the uh, garage with the canopy. This is amazing. So you can see the, um, so the cornfield is over here. So Tyson asked, you know, if, uh, if people come at the time, and I think we're about two or three weeks away from having actual corn, but make sure they park in the parking lot, try not to drive out to the um, field, because there's, there's some mysteries out there, and you'll probably get, you know, stuck. <laughs> Uh, so this is a verse that um, Michelle found for us, and I think this kind of applies, you know, you're doing, you're doing things, you know, with your kids, for your kids, 
you know, if, if your kids or the kids that you influence in life, if, if they see you living on, uh, you know, a life on mission, you know, within their community, much better chance efforts will continue and they'll be better people too. So I want to thank, you know, Westbridge Church for allowing us to do this. Um, you know, the last point to consider is what, what else can we do? You know, is there other things we can plant? Like I said, I, I don't know if we're going to have 10 years of corn, if we're going to have so much corn we don't know what to do with, but we'll see. You know, next year maybe we have something else. So. Uh, thank you. Yeah, Thanks, John. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I'm sure. Yep. Thanks. Listen, the the uh, text that will be in today just did not plan for long-term Brad and Michelle to come share, but God has taken them through a storm, um, specifically with losing their mom and dad, and um, watching God work through that storm to do good has just been awesome, and so thank you, appreciate you guys. All right, well today we are, uh, as we wrap up this series, we're in Acts 27, 28, and we are in for an adventure. This, uh, this is the day, we're going to head to the Mediterranean, for a, a, we're going to do our, uh, our cruise today, so you'll need your life jacket, your passport, and some Dramamine, Don you have a stash on hand? <laughs> we're we're going to be hitting some rough seas as we go. But the question that we're going to be chasing is, how do we live on mission when we go through a storm in life? How do we keep our heads about us? How do we stay on mission when our life circumstances are what we would consider a storm? A trial that, that we did not plan, we would not want, and what, the direction we thought our life would take all of a sudden takes a different direction that leaves us on uncharted waters and waters that really sap the hope that we have and threaten um, really our security and our, our well-being and all those things. What do you do? How do we live on mission when we're going through a storm? And in Acts 27, 28, God, we see God at work and he gives us what we're going to see are five really uh, scenes that will we'll break down this this moment in history into and five lessons that the Lord provides as we, we go through this. As I was reflecting on this text, a wonderful childhood memory came to my mind where growing up we would go to, uh, it was, we, Friday night was our, we called it our family fun night and uh, we would, when the weather was nice, summer evening we'd head to the airport in Indianapolis and it was back in the day when flying wasn't very popular or you didn't fly a lot and it was they had this free observation deck that you would go out on and it was like second third story that you could watch the the guys loading up the planes and then the plane would taxi out to the runway and we'd all I just remember warm fuzzy feelings as a family or you know beautiful sun the sky going pink blue just beautiful warm breezes and we're all watching as this huge airplane just barrels down the runway, takes off, and we're just lost in the wonder of it all. Like, how does that thing do that? And where are these people going? And then you'd see an airplane come in and, you know, land like a duck on a pond and, and just, wow, where'd they come from? And, and see them pull in. And as we were lost in the wonder of these planes taking off and landing, I remember dad saying this, kids, one day you'll be on one of those. And I remember thinking, no way, real us, just could not even picture. And as I was reading Acts 27 and 28, I thought, it, it's, it's that, um, 
It's that looking over the, the runway of life with our Lord, our Father in heaven, watching him propel Paul through a storm of storms, but whispering to us, you too will be in a storm, but will weather that storm and safely reach your destination. And so as we watch this and as we um, really try to relive what Paul lived, five scenes, five life lessons that can help us live on mission as we do life. And so we'll, we'll dig into it. We've got a lot of text to cover, so I'll, be, I'll read a lot. I won't have a lot of commentary. That'll be brief, but, but uh, the core truth, if, if you remember one thing, it's this. The core truth of the text, God is at work in the storm. God is at work. Know that. And I know today some of you are in a storm. And, and just to know, God is at work in a storm. We, in the storm, we can trust him. But the first scene is this. We'll, we'll entitle it. We'll put a capture, caption over it. It's sail on. It's Acts 27, verse 1. It says, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. So, quick context. Paul is... Uh, this is the last voyage he will take across the Mediterranean. He's already done three missionary journeys. He's he was arrested in Jerusalem by the religious leaders. They're sending him off to Rome to be tried before Caesar. So, and you know Paul, he wanted to get the gospel west to where people hadn't seen it. So you can almost see he's pumped up. You know, he's going on the government's dime. He's headed, though, to, to stand before Caesar and talk about Jesus. Pumped. It says, we boarded a ship from at Atyrum, and set sail for the ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So Luke, Aristarchus, you know, at least two other friends are with Paul. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go with his friends so that they might provide for his needs. So the, uh, the centurion lets him go. It was about a day's journey where he went, probably sent some soldiers with him, but um, a nice, nice gesture from the soldier. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the, to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we sailed across the open sea off the coast of uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia, and there the centurion found, found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. The first ship was probably just a little coast hopper where you're going port to port. This was a bigger ship um, filled with grain. So, you know, it's going to Rome, carrying the grain that they need, but they get put on board this ship. Verse 7, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. The wind did not allow us to hold course, and we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmon, and we moved along the coast with with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the, the town of Lycia. Could we throw the map up here? Just to give us, I know all these names are making no sense to us, but basically where he started is right here in Jerusalem. He, he, they're, they're taking that coast hopper up through here, but it's hard sailing. So many days. They get here, still tough. They, they make it to Snidus. Now the normal route to Rome was you go this side north of Crete, and you head right up here to Rome. It takes about five weeks, normal trip. But they come off of Snidus and catch a wind that will not let them go. So they say, let's cruise down by Crete, catch the shelter of this, this little island, and 
maybe that'll help us. And, and they stop here at Fair Havens. Now, Fair Havens is not the place. And what do we, it's cool. When you read Acts, you get the a feel for the whole New Testament. Who is at Crete, who's at Crete that we know? Entire letter of the Bible written to this guy. Titus, right? Paul left Titus on Crete. And what do we know about Crete from Titus? He's, it says, Crete's own prophets say they're all evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and liars. <laughs> Their own people call them that. So it pretty much picture a, just an island full of pirates is what you feel. And Fair Haven is not the best place to stay as harbor as we see here. Um, We'll go on, we'll keep reading verse 9. It says, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day of atonement. So it's probably late September, early October. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to our ship and cargo and our lives also. Say, Paul, who are you to be talking? You're a prisoner. Well, what do we know about Paul's life in 2 Corinthians 11? He had been shipwrecked three times. So can you imagine? Like, he has been shipwrecked. <laughs> can't imagine. And he spent an entire night and day in open sea, just floating on either a plank or doing the back float. So when Paul says, guys, stop, this is not going to be good. He's speaking out of experience, but do they listen to him? Nope, he's just a prisoner. You've got sailors soldiers and prisoners and Paul is a prisoner he, low man on the deck and so um, instead of listening to Paul they follow and fo- uh, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in fair havens half the harbor was open to the whole sea so it wasn't the best place to, to be at instead they said let's sail for Phoenix and winter there this is this was a harbor this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Now, if we could put the map back up here, it's interesting. You can, and I put this up just so you can feel the, the desperation of this moment. All they need to do is sail from Fair Havens 50 miles up here to Phoenix. And you may, it makes sense that these guys know Phoenix is a better place to harbor for the winter. They're going to spend four months on the highland of Crete with all these evil people. You want to get to a spot that you like and that your ship is going to surviving so it makes sense but guys what happens from here to here is uh or or actually we can't get there yet but let's uh it says uh verse 12 since the harbor was unsuitable to winter and the majority decided that we should sail on to reach phoenix and winter there this was a harbor um in Crete, facing both southwest. So the point here is, and here's the big lesson out of the first, the sail on moment. And the, the phrase to circle in your Bible is, the majority decided, let's sail on. So you have Paul saying, don't. You have the majority saying, guys, let's, let's keep sailing. What do we learn out of this? The first lesson is, the storm is prime time to exercise our faith as it reminds us that we're not in control. The storms of life remind us that, that we're not in control, and that's an opportunity for us to trust the Lord. Paul, lowest man on the totem pole, gives some wisdom. He's a, he's a leader. He's a type A guy. He's got wisdom. He's got experience. He's got a relationship with God that he knows. He's been praying about this, but do people listen to his good advice? Nope. 
Paul will suffer a storm because he is under the authority of people who have made unwise decisions. He is going to go through a trial of trials. Have you been there? (laughs) Experiencing a storm in your life. What do you do when you are in a trial and you had nothing to do with that trial? It is because people in authority over you, maybe a parent, maybe a boss, maybe have made an unwise decision and it is wrecking your life. What do you do in those moments? It's a test of faith, isn't it? Are you going to get mad, bitter, complain, grumble, or are you going to live on mission and trust that our God is big enough to use even the unwise choices of people around us, even the evil choices of people around us to advance his mission? It's a test of faith, isn't it? And I think a lesson that flows out of this is we watch Paul respond. Know this, God is at work in the storm. So the second scene that that appears here is, we could call it storm-tossed, and it's verses 13 and following. Okay, so putting that map back up here, here they are at at, at Phoenix, I mean, I'm sorry, Fairhavens, and they're just hoping to get to Phoenix, 50 miles to winter. When a gentle south wind began to blow, so a wind coming up from Africa. For us, we feel those spring winds in Flo- coming out of Florida in April. You know that feeling, just ah. You can just see the whole crew going, ah, let's go. It begins to blow. They saw the opportunity, so they weighed anchor, sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way and we were driven along. As we passed the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly, hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So they're pulling on the lifeboat. So the men hoisted it aboard and they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis. So back to that map, you can see they're trying to go this way, they're being driven this way, um, there's call to that island, and they're fearing that there were some sandbars down here off of the coast of Africa, it was a ship graveyard down here, and so they're like, we have got to somehow um, slow down, and so they hoist the lifeboat, and then it says they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. So they're throwing their profits, the wheat, overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So anything they can do to lighten the load, they're taking on water, they need to make the ship buoyant. When neither the sun or stars appeared for many days, the storm um, continued raging. We finally gave way, finally gave all, gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood, stood up before them and he said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete when you, when you could have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. Most commentators feel this, isn't it? Like, I told you so a moment. But he's trying to build credibility for what he's about to say. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. 
And last night, he says, an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before, stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground some island. What is it that we learn as we watch this storm just toss these guys at sea? And we see Paul responding. The lesson here is the storm brings us to our breaking point, creating a platform to display our hope in Christ. As you think about this scene, of, we know there'll be, there's 276 men on board. You've got sold, Roman soldiers who are in charge. You've got sailors who are in charge. And you've got this, we know Paul was a little guy. By this time in his life, he's an older guy. He's a religious guy and he's an academic. Do you think they're going to listen to anything he has to say? These Roman soldiers, like, like what's it going to take for these guys to hear the message of Christ through this, this guy, and he's a prisoner. It's going to take a storm so severe that it's going to shake them to their knees, bring them to the end of their rope, and then God gives Paul a message of encouragement through an angel, and then are they listening now that they're on their knees throwing their stuff overboard, and now they're listening to this guy. That storm-tossed deck um, it became the platform for Paul to share the hope that God had given him. In our own lives, when do we gain an audience with the people around us? And it's often when we, they see us going through a storm or together we're all going through a storm. And that deck as, as our boat rocks becomes the platform that he gives us to stand up and say, here's my hope. My hope is in Jesus Christ. The storm creates a unique opportunity, a, new, a unique platform to share Christ. I love it how, I, like good news, bad news, never, nevertheless, we must, you guys are all going to live, but we have to run aground some island. What would you be saying? Which island? Like, didn't the angel tell you? Like, nope, you'll know it when you get there. <laughs> You're going to be shipwrecked. And sure enough, so that's the third scene in this. It's the shipwreck. We, uh, We'll pick it up, verse 27, it says, On the 14th night, while we were still being driven along the, the uh, Adriatic Sea, it was about midnight, sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that we were 120 feet deep. Short time later, we're 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the uh, stern, so from the back of the boat, and they're praying for daylight. In an attempt, and this is a Pirates of the Caribbean moment, in an attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let down the lifeboat into the sea, pretending they were lowering some anchors from the bow. So these sneaky sailors are dropping the lifeboat, acting like they're, it's dark, you can't really tell. They're going to leave these soldiers and prisoners to fend for themselves. And watch what Paul does. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Not a kumbaya moment on the deck of this boat. You can imagine everybody's mad. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have not, you've been in constant suspense, 
and gone without food. You haven't eaten now. I urge you, take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. And after he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they had wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. What a welcome sight, where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So they cut the anchors loose, <laughs> they, uh, they left them in the sea, and at the same time, the ropes that had, they had, were holding the rudders up, they let those out. Then they hoist the foresail, the sail in the front of the ship, and they just barrel for the beach. So you can feel that we're going to this beach, we're, we're going to make it. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. So it just keeps getting harder. You think they're going to make it, but, but look at verse 42. The soldiers then planned to kill the prisoners. What? Yep. The soldiers are going to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to save Paul's life. And he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that those who could swim jump overboard first, get to the land. The rest were to get there on, the, on planks on the, uh, other pieces of the, and other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Shipwrecked. What do we learn as we watch this scene play out? And the lesson is this. The storm creates opportunities to serve others who are in the storm it's interesting, those, the word or the phrase that just sticks out to me, 276 people on this boat. And watch Paul, he's serving them all. When the sailors are about to jump and leave, you know, possibly put everybody at risk, there's Paul um, doing what he can do to help, um, letting them know, hey, don't let these guys leave. The, uh, he knows they need to eat and for what's coming next. And there he is, show just being an example of wisdom, but also faith in the Lord. He prays out loud. Why do we pray before meals, by the way? I thought this is a neat one. Jesus did it. Paul's doing it here. It's just another picture of our dependence on the Lord. He's serving these guys. But here's the thing. Remember when it says the Lord has given you all of these people who are with you on board. Paul, do you think Paul was praying for these 276 men? And I love it that he gives us the exact number. How many of these people on board mattered to Paul? How many of these 276 mattered to God? Every one of them. And you can imagine the conversations that Paul had with these people. And he, he loves them, he cares about them, he's serving them. And it was Paul, ultimately his presence there, that saved the lives of these prisoners as the centurion did not go ahead and, and kill them. So just neat thinking about you know when we're in a storm who are the 276 people that God's put in your life that you may not have been with otherwise thinking about the some of you I know have been through a storm of health issues and you go into that season and now you're meeting doctors and nurses and other people or um, whatever storm it is that, that you may be facing who are the people that God has placed around you and then the the third or fourth scene is Survivor Island this is uh, interesting, verse, chapter 28, verse 1 says, Once safely on shore, 
we found out that the island was called Malta. So we could go ahead and put the map back up real quick. So almost 500 miles from here to here, 500 miles, these guys. This, this Malta is 8 by 18, 8 miles wide, 18 miles long. The odds of hitting this thing are slim when you look at all this sea. But God, the providence of our God just blows these guys right into this island. And now it says, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. Only two times is that word used. It's the word from which we get our word philanthropy in the Bible. The other time is Titus 3, 4, where it talks about the unusual kindness of our Savior saving us when we didn't deserve it. I just love the connection in the Word of God. I think God's making the point, this salvation story, that's your story too. Driven along on the winds of a providence into the arms of a Savior. But uh, the islanders showed us this unusual kindness. They built a fire, welcomed us all because it was rainy and cold. It was October, we know, and uh, chilly. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out from the heat fastened itself on his hand. (laughs) So he gets snake bit after he's been through all this. Now, would you be tempted to say, get mad at God and say, I am your servant. I am ticked. No, what do you do when you're in a storm? You know God's at work. You go with it. Sail on. Why? Well, watch what happens. When... The islanders saw that that the snake was hanging from his hand. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For he escaped the sea. The goddess of justice is not allowing him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people are expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds about him and said he was a god. (laughs) So here's his credibility with these people. They take him to their leader. There was a, a state nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the land, he welcomed us into his home, showed us generous hospitality for three days. His dad was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. So Paul went in to see him, prayed for him, placed his hands on him, healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were able to and ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. What do we learn from this moment? Lesson number four, the storm propels us to unexpected places to share Christ. The storms of life will take us to places that we would not have chosen to go, and yet we can trust the loving providence of our Father, that He is sovereign in the winds of the storm. Paul's storm was Malta's salvation. Isn't that awesome to think about? Paul's storm was Malta's salvation. An entire island hears the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But it was Paul's storm that that blew him into that island. What an encouragement to us, you know? Just when the storm comes, not to give up hope, not to be discouraged, but say, all right, God's at work Live on mission through the storm. We don't see the big picture, but, uh, but thankfully we come to this last scene, and, and I've entitled it Rome, Sweet Rome, Rome at Last. It says after uh, three months, 
so they winter there at Malta. And uh, by the way, Malta evidently, even today, is a beautiful island to winter on, or to be on. It's like the beautiful flowers and all these things. But after three months, so it's February 8060, they... Uh, they put out to sea. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse. We stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at uh, Regium. The next day, I love this picture, a south wind came up, and the following day, we reached Rome. So can we throw the map up one more time? So all they have to do is get 60 miles here to Malta to Syracuse, then they hop over here to Regium. And then there's this south, southern breeze coming up out of Africa, and it just whoosh, takes them up to home, Rome, sweet Rome, their destination. So you can see they land at Puteoli, and then there's the two towns to notice are there's three taverns and the forum, and the distance there from Rome is significant here in a minute. It says that south wind came up. It took us up to Puteoli, and then verse... Uh, 14, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome, and here's the significance. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to, to live by himself with a soldier guarding him. I love this picture of r arriving in Rome, and you just see family, you see hugs, you see, ah, dry land, and we're where we need to be. And the lesson is this, the storm gives us a new appreciation for the safe harbor, the family of God, and our arrival homes. When we've been through a storm season, it, it brings an appreciation to the normal days, doesn't it? And the, sun, the sunny days and the safe harbors are a gift from God to enjoy, and the storms accent that joy and that appreciation, that worship. The storm brings a fresh appreciation and gratitude for the family of God. And I just love this scene where the people and the brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome heard that they were coming. They travel down to the three taverns and they meet Paul. And when Paul sees these, this family, it says he was praised God and he was encouraged in heart. And just this picture of um, what a gift God has given us in the family of God. And um, the storm creates in us a longing for home and our arrival to our future home, doesn't it? The storms of life, the trials of life, to know that, man, and to know there's people waiting um, on the other side for us. Just a, a beautiful picture of, of the journey. As we think about sailing home and, and even Paul sailing to Rome, God told him at the start, they're, they're in Jerusalem, you're going to make it to Rome, and you're going to go through a shipwreck. It's going to be tough times, but you're going to make it. Did Paul make it to Rome? And it's just a reminder to us, guys, that our God is faithful to his promise. Yeah, the winds of life are going to blow us this way and that, but no, the mission is on. The one who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he will. He is preparing a place for us, and we will be with him. Rome satisfy. The most probable explanation is I was made for another world. At present, we are on the outside of that world, the wrong side of the door. We cannot mingle with the splendor that we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. 
one day, God willing, we, we shall get in. Meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is another morning. The cleft has opened in the pitiless walls of this world, and we have been invited to follow our great captain inside. Following him is, of course, the essential point. And so how does the story end? We're at the end of the book of Acts. It's fascinating. Luke ends it like this in verse 30. It says, For two whole years Paul stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus, salvation through faith in Christ alone, with all boldness and hindrance. Exclamation mark, end of story. To which we say, no. What about the trial before Caesar? What about the rest of his story in Rome? We know he tried to get to Spain. And what about the rest of Paul's life? And it's almost as if God through Luke is saying, Paul is irrelevant because he's dead. But the mission, it's on. And it's on today in your life and in my life. And when the storm hits, as it will, don't let it stop you. Sail on, sail on. The storm is there to grow your faith, and it will exercise your faith to trust him radically the storm is there to create a platform of hope through which you can share the hope that you have in Christ the storm will provide unique opportunities to meet people that you had never met your 276 the storm will take you to unexpected places to share Christ and the storm will ready your heart for your arrival home <laughs> it'll create in you a homesickness for the place that God is creating, the place for which we were created, our home in heaven. Amen? And so the calling of God is when the storm comes, sail on, sail on. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us today, this picture out of Acts of your faithfulness to Paul. And Lord, we, as we see Paul and his storm, we think of our storms and just how you have been there and we know that there's more coming, and we don't fear them, but yet we, uh, we don't look forward to them, honestly. But yet we know that you will be with us and that you will provide opportunities for us to point to you. And God, we pray that in every storm, our faith would stand strong in you and that you would save souls for eternal glory for you and eternal joy for us and the person that is saved. I thank you for these 276 people that you put on Paul's boat, and I thank you for the 276 that you put in our lives, and help us to love them well, point them to you, and sail on for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.